Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, this is a big one for us. We are so honored to have as our guest this week, DJ Minute Mix, one half of the revolutionary hip-hop duo PM Don. Now, if anyone has forgotten, in the early, early 90s when PM Don came out, there was no one that sounded like them. In fact, in my opinion, there has been no one that sounded like them to this day. PM Don were brothers. There was Prince B, Atrol Cordez, and there was DJ Minute Mix, Jarrett Cordez. Now, Jarrett today goes by Eternal. So if you hear me referencing Eternal, that's who I'm, that's, I'm talking about this week's guest, DJ Minute Mix. As everyone knows, last year was a horrible year for rock and roll deaths. One of those was Prince B. He finally died last year, last summer, after a long battle with diabetes. That really hit me hard because PM Dawn have four amazing albums and I've just always wanted more from these guys. Everything they do is so beautiful and interesting to me and I've always wondered where the rest was and what the story was and how they were doing and what was going on. In fact, I think I say this in here, but I'll give you a quick story. When I first started the podcast, I was hanging out with my brother Steve, my brother-in-law John, when my brother-in-law asked me, who of everyone in the world would you want to talk to? My brother and I looked at each other and at the same time we said, PM Don, because they are big for us. Now this was two years ago, this was before Prince B passed away. Well, I gotta fill you in. Last fall, around September I believe, Eternal and I actually spoke then. This was only a couple of months after B's death. And we had one of the most amazing conversations I've ever had. It was like two and a half hours long. We touched on everything. And I always tell my guests afterwards, if there's something that, you know, say the next day they think of, oh, I shouldn't have said such and such, to tell me what that is and we'll cut it out. We want them to feel good. Unfortunately, just as we were about to release their episode of the podcast, Eternal changed his mind. He felt like he was too emotional, things were too raw. He said some things that were a little too sensitive to the family and he asked me not to run it and I was heartbroken. He said though that he would make it up to me later. I'm not sure that I even believed him, but he came through and God bless him. A Couple of months ago, we redid that conversation and it was completely different. One of my favorite artists in history gave me some of their time to tell me their story. And I am so grateful for that. Now in this conversation, we talk about the stories behind some of their songs, like this one, one of their biggest hits, Looking Through Patient Eyes, which samples George Michael. George Michael had died about two weeks before Eternal and I had this conversation. Another sad death from last year, right? We talk about the stories behind Set Adrift on Memory Bliss, Paper Doll, we talk about what in the world is going on in their camp right now. Their cousin, Doc G, is out there performing and releasing music under the name PM Don, and he has nothing to do with the Cordez brothers, who are the actual PM Don. There's a lot to unpack here. He explains some of the spirituality or spiritual nature behind some of their music, which was always a big thing. I think it's interesting. He refers to Prince B, whose real name was Atrol Cordez. He, re he refers to Atrol's transition several times in this conversation. That transition is actually his death. It's a transition from life to death. It's just a different way of looking at things. He called me from his home in Jersey City, New Jersey. 
So okay. for starters, I just want to find I want to ask how you guys are doing. How is the family coping with these deaths and the aftermath and is it is it one of is it a kind of situation where we can where everyone's able to celebrate a, an artist's life and a person's life or is it accompanied with great sadness? What's kind of the mood right now? How are you coping? Well, the, the the family is coping. I I don't. This is something that you can never get over. You can just get yeah. used to a new normal. You know, my brother's passing was 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 huge. You know, he was a leader. You know, in the mm-hmm. family, everybody, he was the center of it all. Mm-hmm. So you know, for him to to be departed and for him to make his transition, it, it's very tough. And. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's something that we'll never get over. But it's just, uh, as you can look at 2016, which has been an insane year for major figures no kidding. To, to to make a, an exit from this planet, no which is insane. You know, my yeah. brother was part of it. It was a weird, interesting-ass year. It sure was. <laughs> Transition, sure was. you know. Crazy. Yeah. And how crazy, too. I mean, George Michael passes away on Christmas Day, and he factors into one of your biggest hits, Looking Through Patient Eyes. It's you know, what, from crazy. end to end, okay. was a sad year. You know, it, it, it yeah, George Michael, and I, all I can say is I salute him as well because, mm-hmm. you know, for his involvement and, you know, letting us clear the sample and all that, and to be so proactive as to go, you guys got to do this remix if Papa was a Rolling Stone, I'm doing, uh, I'm sending you the tapes, and that's it. It was the third of September, the day I always remember. Yes, I will, because that was the day that my daddy died. I never had a chance to see him. No, never bad things about him. You know, he was very supportive. So it's for all the, that energy to be swirling around like that in this year, yeah, it's mind-boggling, really. Yeah. Mind-boggling. Really and, you know, there were some, some of the major ones for me personally, I mean, aside from David Bowie, who's my number one all-time favorite artist, but and Absolutely. Prince and George Michael, but there, the two of the ones that hit me the hardest were B and Maurice White. I know B had been sick for a long time, but was it, was he able to walk around, communicate, or was he was it more vegetative than that? No, mentally, he was very, I mean, highly alert. He knew everything. Okay. He, you know, he looked around. He talked to you. You know, it, he was alert. Diabetes has taken a toll on his body with kidney disease and 
mm-hmm. you know, and the diabetes and, and the dialysis and all that is just, you know, after a while the body can only take so much, you know. And yeah. We all wanted him to be around, but, you know, I didn't want him to be in pain either. So it's a weird tug of war with emotions. Yeah, but the you're crazy. Let me tell you something. <laughs> this guy, although he is on the other side, my brother, uh-huh. He's visiting people. <laughs> you think so? He visits really? His wife. Yes, he does. He visits me, tells me stuff. My brother Jason, you know, he still, he literally, he still comes around. Wow. And he is how still very that? much himself, his personality. How that ma- I'm curious how that, how you feel that manifests itself for you. Listen, it's, it's a long story, and my family okay. is involved in some deep spiritual. I can tell, uh, obviously. As you can tell with, with TM Dawn's music. So yeah. in my dreams, he comes to me. Like, I know when I'm dreaming, when I'm in a dream state, and what states of sleep I'm in. So wow. sometimes he'll come to me in a dream state, and sometimes he'll just be here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's just, it, it is amazing. It's it's I can't explain it. I don't want to know how it happens. It just, yeah. it just happens. You just feel it. You feel yeah. the presence. It's, yeah, and yeah. and I know what his presence feels like. So you know, yeah, I know when his presence is in the room. And you know what yeah. the craziest thing I had, I had bought him for his birthday some movies that he wanted. He requested, you know, I wanted to hit mm-hmm. you know, a couple other ones. <laughs> and I had a hard time because I I went to the hospital and I and I, I bought him with me. I said, you want me to leave these here? Or when you get back to the nursing home, you want me to bring it? He said, you know, he said, he said, bro, hold on to him for me, okay? So I said, all right, when you get into the nursing home, I'll bring it. But as we all know what happened, he passed on. Yeah. So I'd say about maybe two weeks ago, I literally cracked open the hateful eight. I was looking at no it. I've been looking at it for months. It's just been sitting in one spot collecting dust, and I was just, you know, straightening up and wiping stuff down. Yeah. And I saw it. I said, you know what? We're going to watch this damn movie today. I watched it. I said, you sit right here while we watch this movie. <laughs> you know, it's just, oh, just the way to connect. You know, just the yeah. way to connect to him and let yeah. him know that I know that he's around. Yeah. You know, oh, and he comes. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's, that's great. It's very special that, you know, that he still comes around, like it, yeah. it, it, it does boggle the mind. But it does. I'm very grateful. But that's beautiful. It. Very that's grateful. Great. How would you describe the dynamic of your relationship, both as brothers and as musical partners? And the reason I ask that question is because, so my brother and I now, for the last like four or five years, we've been just best friends. But for the previous fifteen years we had a, an extremely strained relationship. Mm-hmm. But one of the things, believe it or not, that brings us, that has always brought us together and binds us together today is our mutual love for PM Don. They, wow. PM Don is my brother's number one all-time, my brother Steve, <laughs> number one all-time favorite artist. And wow. you guys are one of my all-time favorite artists too. So it's this special thing that means so much to the two of us. But as much as I love my brother, if I were in some kind of professional or creative relationship with him that wasn't equal and one person was sort of dominating the other, I don't know if my, my 
ego or my pride could take that. <laughs> I think I would have a hard time with that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you, the, the interesting thing about us, you know, uh, growing up, you know, actual, I call him actual sometimes, it's crispy, so now I'm calling him actual. But, you know, mm-hmm. he was the closest thing to a father figure to me. Mm-hmm. So my whole world, even in adult life, was pretty much filtered through what do you think? You know, how should we yeah. handle this? Stuff like that. But the BGs taught us, taught me personally a lot about brother relationships and how they work. You know, Let me because just stop you for a was, second. How many people on me- this earth can say, you know, the BGs taught me? <laughs> That's just amazing. Just hearing that sentence comes out of, come out of your mouth. <laughs> I gotta tell you, you know, it, I it's a beautiful. It. I, 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 it's a blessing to have that. I you know, know really. it is. And, and this I didn't is mean the to you, but That was it's, the greatest sentence I've ever heard. So okay, go ahead, continue. <laughs> so working with the BGs, you know, uh-huh. uh, obviously, you know, brothers have ups and downs. Family members have ups and downs, and and all, and all that. The the idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. or whatever. But you know, when you grow up and have music as your foundation in your household and everything. It's just like all we had to do was look at each other and go, oh, yeah, we know what drum to put in here. But that mm-hmm. was from how we grew up, listening to music and, you know, the close relationship that we had we, as a brother-dad figure who would read to me and my little brothers. You know, it was, mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. how it happened. But, you know, the Bee Gees, they explained a lot to us. You know, we worked with the VGs and we literally had days and, you know, multiple hours of just them talking about their brotherhood and how egos did get in the way and they wished that they didn't and don't let it happen to you guys and all this stuff, mm-hmm. you, know, it was, mm-hmm. you know. But the crazy thing is the exact same way that they worked together as a trio mm-hmm. was the exact same way that Prince B and I worked. As brothers, he's like, you know, so he does get on my nerves sometimes, you know, but sure. what are you going to do? You know, they, the Bee Gees getting their Bee Gees huddle and they write their songs, and it nullifies a lot with that harmony, you know, and that right. love. Love covers a multitude of sin, you know, and, and dissolves a lot of conflict. To let the fans know, I know my position. I know yeah. that Prince B was the master lyricist. You know, I, there was no way at that point in my young life that I was that great, and I didn't want to touch it and dirty it, just let it be what it be. You need yeah. me to finish the production on that? need me to tighten this stuff up? Let's put this harmony in there and not that one? That was my job, mm-hmm. okay. you know, but I knew my role. Interesting. And, okay, yeah. Then, yeah. So you, yeah. But you never felt, it never, it was never a knock on your personal pride or anything to be a supportive person to kind of capture Prince B's vision musically? Well, did you feel like it was a shared vision? It, it absolutely was a shared vision. We were, we okay. were working on the, the reason why PM Dawn is even named PM Dawn is because we wanted, we knew at that point in our early career in 89 before any deals and all that stuff, we were trying to figure out what our, lane was going to be and we were like we're talking about all the spirituality stuff that nobody's doing so it's like in the era where you know rap is rap yeah and you know we were like this new light 
this dawning yeah. of something new. Agreed. And, you know, agree, in, agree. which is how a PM Dawn would be birthed out of that. And we yeah. knew exactly what we were doing. We yeah. talked about it in depth about, you know, we're going to talk about spirituality and the stuff that that was passed on down to us through our family line, through That's our amazing. genes. You know, we knew. Yeah. And it was just he said it better than being a father figure. You know, he said the things that I was thinking about trying to put together in my head. He would just say it. Mm-hmm. So there was no way I was going to go, hey, let me take lead on writing the song here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That just right. wasn't going to happen. You know, because, you know, listening to his stuff today, I asked him, I said, well, how did you get there with no help? Like, just talking about all the spiritual stuff that came to his mind. And I was like, you know, I, me personally, as mentors, I had Rev. Run as a mentor, and his mentor, Bishop Jordan, and my another mentor, my manager, Prophet, I had all these people guiding me on a spiritual level to get me mm. to, to a place that I can thoroughly understand what actual, yeah. what, where he was coming from spiritually. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, how did you do it? Like, I had crazy help. Like, how right. did you do it? And he was like, man, I read a lot. You know, he said there's yeah. a book that was given to him, actually, quote, unquote, called The Book, he said, mm-hmm. that right. really did something for him. And he said when he was in high school, he had to do a report on a book called Jonathan Livingston Seagull, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he said, he said that story alone, he said it it helped me sore for some reason. He said, for some reason, it just took me there. Wow. And I wow. was like, wow, I think I'd better get these two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just so right. I can further understand, you know, where you were mentally at that time. Yeah. We, we could, yeah. you know, before he transitioned, we talked a lot, a lot about spirituality and where I was, you know, and I was able to answer some things, some some spiritual things that we had questions on when we were kids, you know, yeah. it, it was just, it was a beautiful time to, to let him know where I was and to let him see that. And for That's me great. to be there, I miss him, man. I miss him. Oh, I'm no kidding. I miss him. His, you know, uh, you know, his vision, it's what you're saying is so true. His vision, I, I've always thought was so singular and revolutionary. And I, I may have mentioned this to you before, but I feel like, you know, you guys were coming out in the late 80s around the time of, like, De La Soul or Tribe Called Quest yeah, or yeah. the Prince Paul produced, you know, third bass, that kind of stuff, which I always felt was more, there was more artistry involved yeah. in the creation of that kind of hip-hop. But then I've, and this, I'll lose street cred for this, but I've always felt like gangster rap came along and just devoured creativity and diversity within hip-hop for years. But you guys were there doing something so unique and different and was so beautiful. But when compared to the gangster rap that eventually just sort of overwhelmed everything, right. it was too far on the other side of the spectrum, I think, to have gotten the respect that it deserved. And does that, make, does that ring true to you at all? Does that, or am it, I just it, talking let me tell you, nuts? It, it, it rings to me, it does ring true, but I mean, we uh, we served our purpose. PM Dawn has served its purpose, and so did NWA. I mean, all these things were there for yeah. a reason. 
and everybody, there has to be some kind of enlightenment in the middle of all the craziness. Yes. If it was pushed off to the side, it doesn't matter because, listen, if you fill, we put a, a rubber ducky in the tub, right? Mm-hmm. And you fill it with water. Let's say it was 10,000 rubber duckies that represents all different aspects of rap or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you fill the tub up with water, which is enlightenment. Everything rises. Mm-hmm. Everything rises. And that was P.M. Dawn's job. That's true. Is to fill everything with a spiritual energy essence that's in the back. That helps that's everything. Yeah. Now, these are subtle things, but it does happen because it's yeah. in the atmosphere. Yeah, I agree. I, I just I feel like you guys don't get your the credit you deserve for broadening the definition and the the creativity within hip-hop as far-reaching as you did. And I feel like now, especially, now those duckies are all able Mm -hmm. to float next to one another on a more even keel, I think, than they used to. Thanks to things like, I mean, say whatever, feel however people want to feel about Kanye. The guy is a Mm -hmm. creative genius. And he's broadened the parameters. He's broadened the parameters of what's allowed He's taken it from gangster rap and it and just added a thousand new colors to hip hop. Yeah, but, but I feel like he did that because of you. Well, well, here's the thing: I have been told from multiple sources who worked with Kanye that when Kanye, before he gets really creative and he wants uh-huh. to clean the room with energy, he plays PM Dawn before he works. Uh-huh. Makes sense. Which is why our purpose as PM Non was served. It helps other people in that way. And, you know, I can actually say that we're part of Kanye's creative force. I agree. I agree. I think Kanye yeah. is a combination of you and Jay-Z. And uh, not I, I, everyone can, I can see that happening. I can see you know that. what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Well, good. Kanye. Kanye is an interesting cat, but he, is. he his his creative that yeah. energy, right? That see this. I don't want to get too spiritual because then it'll be we'll be here literally for twenty hours trying to explain stuff. <laughs> but his energy, you know. Yeah. If you have to channel it in a certain way, or it will go haywire. Sure. You know what I'm saying? If there's yeah. if there's an, if something if you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but no, you know, I know what you mean. I'm, and to me, it comes I'm, back like I mentioned the colors. I just feel like he uses a broader palette of colors within yeah. hip hop than a lot of other artists do. And I feel like PM Don informed a lot of those colors that he uses. You well, yeah, I mean, we were, we were part of it. I I don't want to say it was. Let me say it like this. Although we were the vessels that were used to do it, I want to give all credibility to whatever you want to call it, God, spirit, mm-hmm. whatever it is. It has 100 mm-hmm. billion names. Pick one. It's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just, we're part of that. Yeah. And yeah, this true. is why I can say that PM Dawn has released a sort of spiritual energy that no other artist has. Like, when we were developing PM Dawn, we kept saying to ourselves, I think we're going to be the first gospel rap group mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. history. Like, that, that's where we were in the beginning stages of it. Yeah. 
you know, and then we got more into the spiritual aspect of things and, and taking off some of the limitations of things that the church put on you and stuff like that. And you, then you're able to explore and look at things and call a thing a thing and yeah. not be ashamed to say, you know, that it's, that you, you know, that it's something else, that the yeah. whole spirituality, you know, is that, how would I say this, that, that the church can put, on can can bound you and in, into a certain yeah. you know into a certain thing, but when you dabble yeah. into the spiritual nature of god and you and you have your own personal relationship with it, that's the expression of p m dawn yeah I it's agree. having your own personal relationship with it he I can't remember what song it was at this particular second, right but he said Prince B said something like earlier, I talked to God so I'm tranquil. I listened to it. I was like, all right, I got you. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know if it's a lack of street cred or maybe just not being taken completely seriously within the hip hop community. Did that ever negatively affect the two of you guys? Did you ever feel marginalized or unappreciated because of this? Unappreciated to a certain degree in, in your own community. Oh. Especially when you know where it comes from and you know where you come from, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. I mean, as as you can see, during the sec the first album it was Prince V, and during the second album, the Bliss album, it was Prince V the Nocturnal. Yeah. You know, so he had to express, you know, himself as the Nocturnal, and keep the light and spirituality and and the spiritualness of Prince V to the side on its own mm -hmm. so he doesn't pretty much piss in his own snow yeah, <laughs> as he would say yeah. in a certain way. You yeah, know, so yeah. it, it affected him as a writer. But you know what I think it did, too? It made him a better writer. Really? It made... It made it, the thing is, we were able to, as as you know, with the first album that we came as, you know, a, a, in the rapper DJ format. Mm -hmm. And during the second album, it was more song structure and it was actual songs. Like, To mm -hmm. Love Me More and the More Than Likely with, you know, with Boy George. What's the use in trying? If all my senses say no place exists for you. What's the use in holding out my arms? I couldn't find reasons. If I try to What's the use in floating If all it does is tell you someone's under you What's the use in being if I learn To be neglectful to all the things That mean the most to most of you But I can hear me say More than likely well Those things yeah. are on the second record. It made him be a better writer. So it had to happen. On a spiritual yeah. level, when things like that happen to you, he did the right thing. He reevaluated himself and looked at himself and dealt with 
the positive and negatives of himself as Prince mm-hmm. B and the Nocturnal and started writing songs like we did when we was kids. <laughs> you know, he yeah. just went back to his roots. And that's okay. really what all that stuff was about, is to point you in the direction to where you need to be. And sometimes yeah. it's not going to feel pretty when you get pricked, you know, but that's what awareness is. You know you got pricked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. and he was walking in awareness. Okay. Which is a beautiful thing. In my mind, there's three perfect PM Dawn albums. There's a challenging fourth album that's still good, but it's cha- it's going to take some time. you got to un- you got to unpack that fourth album a little more than the yeah. other ones. Yeah. But then there's almost silence after that. I mean, I know that I I understand there's a couple of like independent releases that are sort of out there somewhere, but that's basically yeah. it. And I wonder, I've always wondered if B just felt silenced by criticism so much so that he didn't want to or didn't couldn't continue to create musically. Why no, did that, you guys that, disappear is what I'm asking. I would have to say that in my personal experience, totally untrue. Okay, because good. we have never, when I when I tell you, never, ever stopped working. Like, he was still writing songs before he made his transition. He was still writing songs. Okay. So it never, okay. ever stopped. Either we were working with the Backstreet Boys, working with Mandy Moore, you know, and and we were working with a couple of acts that got signed to J. This act that got signed to J Records in when Clive okay. was heading it up, and this was yep. before Lisa Keys fall, and then they didn't know what direction it was going in. And but we wow. were, I mean, and those were some big projects. Like, yeah. I will talk to the guy Marcus and see if we can like release some of his stuff. You know, to see if we can actually release some of that stuff. Okay. And you know. He, the, the, Emoja, if you check out this guy, Emoja, that in the early days when we were working, when we were developing PM Dawn, I was working at a small label called Warlock Records, which mm-hmm. at first we got signed to a subsidiary label of Warlock in those days, but I was actually working there in the mailroom. And okay. this guy that I was working with, this guy, Matthew Senator, Emoja, we call him. He he, mm. uh, I don't know if you know a group called Blessed Union of Souls, but he yeah sure he did he did the writing and production on that record. Oh, and oh wow! Okay. We we were all in the huddle, you know. When whoever gets you know big, we're gonna work on everybody each other's record okay. and all this other stuff. Okay. And after the first record, Prince B and Emoja did an album for um I think he got signed to East West back in those days. Okay. That album's out. Like I can send that to you. Like he's massive and sending it out to everybody. But that and he did a duet with Prince B on that record called Lost.
I mean, okay. that, it never stopped. It was, we were always developing okay. some kind of artists, having stuff okay. out. And that Marcus guy that got signed to J Records, to be honest uh-huh. with you, he did a rap version of M's Top Music. And it when oh, it really? when J Records released it, it was the third most record added added record in the country. It was Madonna, J Lo, and this new guy. Like who the fuck is this guy? But yeah. it was us, you know. And that's oh, out there. Okay. It's out there. Okay. You know, so, you, so we so never stopped working. Here Christian, you guys just sort of more retreated to the to behind the boards than being kind of out front. You focused more on production. Maybe yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it was a lot of that kind of thing. Yeah. my little brothers and some of my cousins were in groups that we were producing and developing on the PM non label Carmis. So okay. if we were developing a, a label and developing artists, which takes a long time to do. Yeah, you know, if you're coming yeah. out with a whole stable of things, you know, we were doing things a little slow. It takes a minute to do some stuff like yeah. that. But it, yeah, okay. You know, and at the same time. There are a couple of independent releases, stuff that came out, but we're, you know, we're in the process of of putting a packet together to release to, awesome. to the family. That's so that will be that okay. will be something to look forward to in the future for real. Good. And it's Good. a real, quite amazing things and and yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Great. Good deal. Okay. So you gotta you gotta tell me some fun stories about the early days. Tell me, tell me about the creation of Set Adrift. Set Adrift on memory bliss of you. Set Adrift was an interesting thing because Set Adrift, before I'll call it quote unquote the London sessions, uh-huh. was was um, Prince B had wrote Set Adrift, and I was I had just walked in. I can't remember either. I was I think I was just outside hanging out, and I came in, and he was like, "Yo, you gotta hear this." So he played it, and it was Set Adrift. It's not Set Adrift how everybody knows it. You know, mm-hmm. lyrically it was there, but mm-hmm. it was a whole other sample that he wanted to use, and and you know it was all right. And a cousin of mine had walked in, and he was like, "Hey, that sample sounds like that that true song." And I was like, "Oh wow!" It was like, See, this, this is the days before Google, and you know, if the uh-huh. song hasn't been played in a long time, and you can't remember who the artist is, we knew what the sure. song was. And, you know, we just like, okay, if we can find that record from what I remember, that might right. be a hot answer to this. You know, so that was the Jersey City session. Oh, <laughs> so man. we kept, 
we cut to the London session to where you know, um, John Baker, who was the president of G Street Records, who, who signed us. We were in the studio and, you know, just it was time to do Set Adrift. Uh-huh. And, you know, Prince, we had this drum in that matched with the other sample, with the original sample. Okay. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, what we we're going to do. Let's go out and find this song. So we told uh-huh. our manager, he was like, oh, it's Spando Ballet and the song is true. All right, let's go get it. Yeah. So we went to the store, you know, and went to Tower Records and came back. We did a whole bunch of record shopping and then came back. Yeah. And, you know, just the anticipation, right, uh-huh. of... Knowing just knowing what you have heard and what you remember in your head about the song, yeah. you know, I didn't necessarily know that when you put the needle on, the first, you know, what you're going to hear. So we're uh-huh. nervously going if the, from what I if, if what we can remember from that song with the harmonies and stuff, how we do it, that'll be insane. So yeah. we were literally like biting our nails, like, Lord, please, like. <laughs> We thought we could sample on this record, right? Yes. So as yes. soon as we put the needle on the record and heard those pads and the hi hats, and we looked at each other and was just like high five and like, woo, this is crazy! Oh, like sample is right now, right? So John Baker walks in as the engineer sampling the song and he goes, "Oh wow, you guys want to use that?" He said, "I can get that cleared quick because I used to make the guys clothes back in the days. I was their stylist." No way. <laughs> I was like, you have to be freaking kidding me. Like, really? That's amazing. It's, it's just how amazing. these certain things work. That is a serendipitous moment. You know, I, that... I, I, I think it's really interesting that it was your cousin who heard whatever you were working on and referenced Spandau Ballet, not some record executive, not some fancy producer. It was your cousin some black yeah. guy from Jersey, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's really interesting to me. You know? Yeah. He said, "Hey, that's that." He said, "That sound." They said, "That sample sound like that true song." I was like, that's "Shit, well, maybe we could use that." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, the amazing. harmony by the name of hot." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a blessing! What a blessing, man! So for for that Huge. to be like that, you know, it it yeah it 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 just happened that way and. You know, when we put those two elements together, that that sample and those drums, it was just it was magic. Yeah. You know, and I was worried about you know what drums we were going to use to match that and to for it to be powerful, and yeah. it just you know just so happens that that was the one that that sounded the smoothest and and made sense. You know, and, and this is us in early production trying to figure stuff out with no knowledge of how to do it. But I think everybody was like that. Q-Tip and Prince Paul, yeah. everybody was like that, you know. Yeah. So we were just figuring it out and learning the ins and outs of, you know, when two drums play together and stuff like that, which which happened inside the drift. It was two different drums that blended together at certain times of the record. But, okay. you know, um, it was it was interesting to, to figure That's out, amazing. you know, not to put too much in it and stuff like that. Yeah. It was, and, and I and I have to give credit to this guy um, who remixed the record, Youth and Mark Stint, because mm-hmm. when you listen to the album version of Set Adrift, that was our vision of it. But when okay. they took it and remixed it and 
did a, I mean, he he put this vocal chorus on the sample and and on the drums that was just I, we didn't see that in in our version. And I'm glad that right, all right. these elements came together to make that happen. You know, it doesn't it, it it can't be one person that does it. It, it takes no. the village. Yeah. Well, speaking of elements coming together, there's an interesting story around I Die Without You, too, isn't there? Relating to Eddie Murphy. Is it my turn to wish you were lying here? I didn't dream you when I'm not sleeping. Is it my turn to fictionize my world? Imagine your emotions, tell myself anything. I Die Without You was, was, was interesting. I mean, Eddie asked us, we were doing some promotion for Set Adrift in, in Paris. And we get a call from our manager. It's like, yo, Eddie's on the phone. And, you know, he wants you guys to fly in. And, you know, when when, when you come back, you know, when you fly in, in Jersey, he wants to have a meeting with you guys. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, he's working on his new record. And, you know, he wants to get you guys in on it. So, you know, we cut to Eddie's house. We're in Eddie's house. And if you looked at, Martin Lawrence had made a joke. He said he was in Eddie's house and he was just looking around like, oh man, you got a bowling alley in your house. It was exactly how Martin Lawrence described it in his comedy. <laughs> you know? it literally, it was like, damn, Eddie got a bowling But the interesting thing about the whole experience with Eddie was he wanted us to come in and work on some stuff for his album. Like, I Die Without You and and Boomerang wasn't even in the picture, and they, oh, even in the room. So we're talking his musical album, that he his music that he yeah. puts out on his own. Okay. Yes. So to let everyone know, Eddie is a true musician, and he is no, oh, yeah. no fucking joke. You hear me? Yeah. Eddie plays everything, bass, guitar, piano, drums. He was playing everything. And it was it was such a shock to the system. Why this planet is the thing carrying that We are the king 
Like, oh, he's for real. Like, this is some real, he's real. This is real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he was telling jokes at the same time. So he was just like, totally, I couldn't get, we got to be serious now because it was just like, Eddie, it's you. Like, you know, uh, we're here. Yeah. This is crazy. How, you know, why are we here? Like, this is a miracle. <laughs> like, right. You know, and we were trying to figure out what to do. And he, Eddie just gets up. He goes, oh, shit, I know. He said, you know what? He said, you know what you guys should do? He said, I'm doing a movie. You know, Martin Lawrence is in it, Grace Jones, Robin Givens, all he's naming the whole list, right? And uh -huh. he was like, you know, you guys should write a song for this movie. He said, he told us everything about us, the player, who got played, and we found real love and this kind of stuff. So, uh -huh. you know, it was one of the last things he said to us before we had departed ways at that, that night. And... We flew back to um, London on. We were on a on a on a promo tour, so we uh -huh. flew back to London, and Prince B called me downstairs. I think the next day, and he goes, "I think I got it, you know." So he goes, "He said, now this is crazy because everybody who knows Prince B." knows that he is a music connoisseur. I'm going to just say that. Uh -huh. He's a music, uh -huh. musical connoisseur, anything. French jazz, you know, doesn't matter. It's hot to him. Yeah. Like, R&B, like the modern R&B of the day of the 90s, although sure. he, loved, he liked it, it was down on his list of things that, you know, what do you think Prince B likes? It was right. down on his list. So, so for him right. to call me and go... I think I got it. And it's an R and B joint. I'm the king of R and B, right? <laughs> he said, I think I'm the king of R and B with this song. Like, are you serious? Wow. So he get I go down to his room and he's singing me the song and I'm like, Oh yeah, the bass line should go like this. I'm hearing you know, we we were collaborating on it. And amazing. You know, it it you know, it came out we were in the studio you know, writing producing this record. And he said, I want somebody to play piano on it. But, it's, you know, I don't want a regular piano player to do it. He said, I want somebody really classical that can do some wild stuff. So our engineer knew this guy, Jim Lunacy, who was classically trained, but he played a lot of rave music back in the day. Okay, interesting. And he came in, and he listened to the song, and he put his shades on and just zoned out. I, th I think it was one tape. Really? I think it, I think it was just one take. He just went wow. in and just vibed with the song, and that was just it. Like the guy was great. Wow. Like he was so good. Like we couldn't do the video without him. He's literally in the video. Oh man! In the beginning with the guy playing, that's him. Yeah, that's him. Wow. Yeah, but the interesting thing I, I, that I have to thank Eddie for wherever he is, you know, because Eddie solidified us as songwriters with that song. Yeah. He asked us to Good do it. Point. We didn't know what Eddie said. 
and I quote, whatever you guys hand to me, I know it's going to be some hot shit. So I don't even care what it is. Give it to me, and I will put it in L.A. and Babyface hands and make it happen. He said, don't worry about it on the, on the soundtrack. And we That's sent incredible. it. You know, we were going to send it to Eddie, but we sent it. We called the record company first. Uh-huh. So we said, listen, we got this hot ballot. You know, before we hand it off to Eddie, we don't want to hear no drama. We just want, you know, you to have first dibs on, you know, so so there's no drama. You yeah. know, we played them the song, and they were like, well, well you guys don't sing. This was before the second record. This was before the breakout. Right. Okay, good point. So okay. these guys, the record company was like, well, you guys don't sing, so, you know, take that, get that shit out of here. <laughs> yeah. We don't yeah. want that, right? So it was all clear for Eddie. We sent it to Eddie. He loved it. He took it to L.A. and Babyface and made it happen, right? Now, what happened when they released the song, we did the video and everything, they released it, and it was, I think it was number three in, in, on the pop charts. Right. And... I never saw so many flowers and 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 I'm sorry notes and everything in my foyer in my house <laughs> ever. It was insane. Oh and man! All they wanted us to do was write songs. Yeah. Now, if Prince B wasn't in this nocturnal phase with the whole back and forth of uh-huh. dealing with darker issues and and Prince right. B being light, stuff like that wouldn't have happened. So things had to happen in that's that amazing. fashion. That's I'm really glad. Uh, I'm really thankful to Eddie yeah. because he he literally solidified what PM Noir and how it was going to grow. Yeah. You know, and Larry Fishburne was at some event that was honoring. I think they were honoring Prince, and Prince B dressed up as Prince and did did a song. And the Roots <laughs> was there, Bill and Bilal was there. There was a lot of people there, and and Larry wow. Larry Fishburne was in. In backstage, right? Mm-hmm. So my brother gets off stage, and we're talking. You know, I tell him it was a great performance. I love seeing him and all that. And Lawrence Fishburne grabs us, and he goes, "Don't change shit. The uh-huh. next album better sound like the first album." And he just went. He, it was he was serious though. You saw it on his face. He was not playing. It wasn't a joke. Yeah. He yeah. was dead serious. He was like, don't punk out on us. That's Stay in great. your lane and do your thing. That's so when you, get, when you get confirmation like that, hands yeah. down, you're good. <laughs> you yeah. know? Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, I want to ask you about another one of your songs that I feel like gets uh, forgotten about sometimes, even though it was still a top 40 hit, and that's Paper Doll.
Paper Dolls is one of my favorite songs, but I don't. The other ones get mentioned so much more often than Paper Doll. Is there is there even an interesting story or anything but behind the creation of Paper Doll, or was that just another one well, of those great, perfect songs that you guys were coming up with at the time? I gotta tell you, interesting. Now you're bringing me back. You're, you're oh. taking me there, man. You're taking me there, bro. <laughs> um, good. We were we we had taken some time out of recording and we were just doing we were visiting sites, um, famous sites like we went to Stonehenge and Salisbury Hill and all that stuff. And it was a long day, right? And we were on top of Salisbury Hill and there was this helicopter flying overhead doing all these dips and stuff. And, and he was in the well, when we got back. We crawled back down the hill because it takes freaking forever. Uh-huh. Crawled back down the hill and get in the car ride home. And I saw him writing and jotting some stuff down. And I looked over at what he was writing and it said, I saw all this paper doll stuff in there. So I was like, oh, wow, paper doll. He was like, yeah. He said, I feel for some reason after coming off that mountain, I felt like I was unified with everybody. Like I'm holding hands with everybody. Like, He's like, I think I want to write. I think I want to write in that direction of how, you know, we, you know, we should all look at ourselves as paper dolls. Interesting. And, yeah, you know, we. It was. It was interesting because clearing the sample, the sample wasn't clear when the album was out. It was clear. Oh. It got cleared when when it was released as a single. Oh. Literally, that just, just took that long, and the record company was just like, "We're we're putting it out, and that's it." And Gil Scott Heron was very great about it. He was very gracious about it, and you know, we gave him what he wanted as far as you know, writer share and stuff like that. But you yeah. know, everything went smooth. But it just, you know, when you're on a timeline and you have to release things, and that's sometimes it just that's just how it went. Sure. But it was interesting sure. that it it actually helped us. You know, because the song was out and there was money to be made and there was there sure. was no drama at all. I mean, not one bit of drama. It was just like, all right, Good. we're going to clear this, the percentages and that's it. And he was like, all right, cool. Yeah. And then we was done. Okay. Cool. Oh, man. This is this is mind-blowing for me, getting to ask you <laughs> about the creation of my favorite music. I'm, I'm kind of, I got goosebumps. Um, okay, so now I want to. So let's go to Jesus Wept because to me, Jesus Wept is just as great and miraculous as the other two, but it was it got kind of lost in the shuffle and sort of underperformed. And I wondered, even though it's just as good, and I'm wondering how you, if you guys were noticing that as it was going on, were you thinking, what's going on here? Are we have we missed something? Are we losing our touch? Or do you just feel like it wasn't promoted properly? What happened there? Because Downtown Venus is an amazing first single and should have been just as big as the rest. But it just didn't quite meet the same level of popularity. Downtown Venus, and I'm trying to be by myself. Myself. Try to define 
Yeah, you know, I don't know. Sometimes these things are hit or miss. You know, no right. one knows. You, you have a gut feeling about what an album may be, feel like for you and what a single is for you, but you only know when it's released. Yeah. And yeah. it every release to me felt like you're throwing a Hail Mary pass. Every mm-hmm. time when the clock struck 12 and we knew the next day an album or a single was going to be released, it literally felt like a Hail Mary pass. Okay. And it's just like it's in God's hands, it's in the universe's hands, whatever. It just, you know, it, it sometimes things fly and sometimes they don't. Yeah. You know, that's the ups and downs of an artist. I don't, I don't think, you know, out of Stevie Wonder's career, all of his albums, that album he did about the secret life of plants, uh-huh. you know, it was only like one joint on there, yeah. you know. But every artist goes to, you know, that's all. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I just really love that album. In fact, um, I may have mentioned this to you before, I can't remember, but I'll Be Waiting For You is one of my biggest PM Dog jams. every mixtape I ever made for any girl at any time, and it's the one that I'll put on repeat in the car. That's one of my very favorite songs that you guys have ever done. So I've always had an especially, I I mean, they're all so great, but I've always had an especially soft spot in my heart for that album because of of my connection to that song in particular. I just love it. But, you know, Eric Tupper... He, um, I can't even think of the name of the song right now. Don't be mad at me, man. He did the song that we actually sampled for the record. And it was Eric Hupper's record. And okay. We were going to sample it, but it was like birds and all this noise and some of the pads and stuff. So I was like, why don't we just get Eric Hupper to come in and produce it with us so, you know, we can get all the sounds and use what we need out of it and, and just create. So... You know, our management team, you know, got, you know, got to Eric, and he was very, you know, he was gung-ho. Like, we went to his studio and just went down there and busted out. And you okay. can look at the credits, and in the credits of that album, it says, look, Eric Hupper, no birds. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> okay. no bird sounds in the past. Good cool. job. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay. But yeah, lyrically, Prince was on some stuff lyrically with with Sunshine and A Lifetime and, you know, Miles from Anything and, you know, Why God Loves You and stuff like that. It was, to to me, I just think 
just me personally, I think the album got overlooked. I, I you know, that, that's agree. just my own personal, that's just yeah. me personally, you know. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I think it's just as strong as the other ones. Now, okay, I got to I gotta ask about some touchy things. I know that at, around this time there was a an arrest for a sexual issue. I don't know how much you want to talk about that or what you want to say about it, but I'd be remiss yeah, if I, I mean, didn't just ask. Right, listen, I mean – at the end of the day, a judge looked at all the evidence and dismissed the case. Okay. You know, and and to be honest with you, it doesn't really have anything to do with PM Dawn. You yeah. know, and Prince B's writing, he was the chief. You know, it doesn't, I just don't, you know, it shouldn't interfere with a record it probably could have maybe in, in, in some people's eyes. And maybe, okay. I don't know. But, you know, as, yeah. as far as me, you know, a judge dismissed the case. So, yeah. you know, okay. that's really all, as far as I need to go with that. Sure. Okay. Because I didn't know mm-hmm. about that at the time. I had never heard that story. And so I only read that after the fact as, like, revisionist history. Well, maybe that's why Jesus wept, you know, underperformed. And it, that was news to me. So I just wondered if right. that was a big deal or what the story on that was. But, okay. So I right. think it was uh, – it got cleared up and dismissed, and that's all that matters Absolutely. anyway. Right, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, okay, so now we got to talk about what is going on with the state of PM Don, because I'm confused by this. You have a cousin named Doc G who's out there somewhere claiming to be PM Don. I think he might own the name PM Don, but I don't, I don't, under, I'm confused. There's even some album. He's even, he even puts out music under the name PM Don. I never listened to it because I think, why would I want to listen to PM Don music that's not by PM Don? I'm just confused. Well, What's and, going and thank on? You What's for the story that? there? Because anybody who knows PM Don is just knows what PM Don is. You know, yeah. as, as far as, you know, the whole, I don't even want to mention his name because okay. there's, there's, some litigation involved now, and I don't really want to get into it at all, you know, because it's very sensitive stuff. But, you know, everybody knows who's PM'd on and who was in all the videos and who produced and did all that stuff. Everybody knows who that is. And that's what everybody should focus on. And if you don't, if you see something that you don't like, you should voice your opinion to that artist, to that person. That's just my opinion. Right. You know, but well, we can get into it another time. But okay. as far as it being in litigation, I just I, okay. it, it doesn't need attention. The only okay. thing that really should we should really focus on is the life, the great, extraordinary life of of Prince B, and Agreed. what he brought Agreed. into this world for us. You know. So let me just confirm. Let me just clarify one thing: the guy okay. who is out there now claiming to be PM Don is not connected, I mean, you didn't, not connected necessarily to you or B, he's not representing, he's not performing music that you guys are working on. Uh, exactly. Completely he doesn't thing. represent us, PM Don, musically, period. Okay. Well, okay. Let me just say it like this. Everybody knows who wrote and produced Set Adrift, because if mm-hmm. you look at the video, me and B's in it. That's right. <laughs> so, Yep. You know, the, he musically, 
I have not worked with anyone as far as PM Dawn is concerned but my brother. Okay. And anything that is being claimed to be PM Dawn that you don't see me or my brother attached to, it's yeah. just it's not real. How yeah. can it be real? You know, there's another person out there who has well, – let's not get into it. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll get into it another time. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to confirm that there are different things. And um, if you really want a full PM Dawn experience, you buy those first four albums and you're set. That's all it is. And you're set. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to know your – I I just want to know some of your best stories. Tell me some of your favorite stories from the the height of your fame. Oh, my God. There's a few – especially working with the Bee Gees was one. We talked about that. But one thing Uh that really – absolutely stands out, period, <laughs> is we were, like I said, we we were working, doing PM Dawn stuff, but for some reason everybody was asking us to do production and remixes and everything. So it was a nonstop thing. So Paul Abdul had, was, you know, asked us to do stuff for our album, and we were just meeting with her at her place wow. about you know, what we were going to do. And, and that was wow in itself, just being in her house. And she was like, you know, I was going to cook for you, but I got in too late, so we ordered some, either it was Chinese or it was Japanese or something that we had. And she was just like, I had to do it, but I was, was going to cook for you. <laughs> you know, and it was cool. You know, we we met several times. We met Emilio Estevez when she was married to him. And it, it was just great. It was it was beautiful. She She is the sweetest person in the world That's you know and good during that, just talking about life and, and just just everything about everything when we were kids stuff that happened to yeah. us when we were kids like all this stuff came out and just over dinner and That's while we were leaving you know she had access she said you guys ever seen um ever been to a prince concert before and we were like no not yet and she looked at us like in disgust, like, yeah. like what? Who are you? Like, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you know what? I'm not even hearing it. Prince is performing out here in, in L.A. and you're going. I got tickets. You're going. Meet me at so and so place, so and so time. And that's it. So mm-hmm. we're hanging out with Paula, which is which is freaking insane. It gets deeper. <laughs> we're literally hanging out with Paula, Abdul. Uh-huh. You know, and we get. You know, it was great. We, you know, we get to our seats. We're still running our mouths about everything, having a great, old, a grand old time. Uh-huh. And, you know, the lights dim and and the curtain goes up, and Prince comes out, right? Uh-huh. So we're out hard. You know, Prince in those days, it his his show had intermission. It was like a play, right? Right. And, and during the first act, during the first song, <laughs> we discovered that they were these two people in front of us and looked like it was some kind of chic royalty because they had these huge turbans on. And uh-huh. it was so big that we couldn't see past the turbans. Like, for real. Uh-huh. No, I'm not, you know, not trying yeah. to make fun of anything, but that's just no. what happened. You big know. turbans, right. So, <laughs> Prince V and I were sipping on our sprites and get to the bottom of it. And there's nothing but ice in the cup. So we're taking, Prince V takes the ice chunk and just throws it towards the hats. So I started doing it because, you know, we couldn't see and discuss. Right. 
So can you imagine Paul or Abdul looking at us doing it? And then goes, you know, in her small way, oh, yeah, toss one too. Oh, <laughs> really? You know, and security comes up to us and goes, you know, you guys are being kind of rude. You know, I said, yeah, but I, I get it. But uh-huh. I literally, I just want you to know, I cannot see at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh-huh. like, we're trying to, like, get into the aisle so we can see and stuff. So they were like, look, let me see if we can, you know, uh, we see some empty seats a few rows back. Let's, you know, talk to the people here, see if we can move you guys or whatever. So uh-huh. they actually moved us. And, we're, you know, we're, we got a chance to watch the show and everything. And during the first intermission, you know, Paula excuses herself to go talk to a couple of people she knew. And so me and my brother were just talking and just looking at the vastness of who comes and who actually loves Prince. And uh-huh. the crazy shit, right, the craziest thing is that every single person that acted in the movie Purple Rain was there. Uh-huh. And I did not know that they actually worked for Prince. Like, right. The guy that was the bodyguard at the, at the, the club and at the door was, was his uh-huh. real bodyguard. Like, he put no, everybody uh, in the movie. It was insane. That's so we're sitting there, we, you know, we're just looking around at everybody that's there. And Prince B goes, is that Joe Jackson over there? I was like, Joe Jackson, like Michael Jackson's pops. He was like, uh-huh. yeah, he's, like, he's right there. So B was, it was always the one just to go over. He was the bold one. I was just the guy that just, I followed, <laughs> you uh-huh. know. Uh-huh. And he went over there and, and talked to, to Joe, and it was just like, he's like, yeah, I know you guys, Team Dawn. He starts singing, to Dawn, and he's singing to the trip. I was like, oh, shit, wow. <laughs> like, he's like, yeah, he said, yeah, my son's introduced me to you guys. He's like, all oh, my kids are here. He's like, there's a Randy right there. He's like, Randy, say hi to P.M. Dawn. I'm like, he's right there. And he went down, and he's like, Jackie's over there. And he's like, and, and I would introduce you to Michael and Janet, but they, in disguise here, they got these big-ass turbans on, like they're chic royalty and stuff. <laughs> and it, was just, it was so crazy. Like, we were like, oh, we were throwing, like, straight up throwing ice. <laughs> Like I was like, I'm telling B. I was like, don't tell him. <laughs> like, just don't <laughs> keep your mouth shut. <laughs> oh man, that's you know, crazy. but that's crazy. Like Michael was like right in front of us, him and Janet. But you know what's crazy about that? In hindsight, looking at it, as far as I know that you can say the Jacksons with with their family drama and all that, but uh-huh. it was crazy that I learned something. Like I learned that they all loved Prince, and as a family, they all came together to watch Prince and just enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. In hindsight, like, you know, just looking yeah. at it, like, wow, it's not as black and white as everybody's saying it is. Yeah. The media was trying to create kind of a competition back in the day. Yeah. Michael yeah. and Prince, yeah. you know? It does clearly, that. they're fans it, of each other. Yeah, and it was weird, I mean, to see it with my own eyes. Yeah. And and to hear them say, "Oh, what's up, PM Dawn?" Like I I I saw it and heard it with my own ears. That's you know, so I I just saw some family unity there that yeah was present in in the press situation That's about impressive. the Jackson. That is impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't yeah, guess. That, that would be the one that stands out the most to me. That's like crazy. forever. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's wild. Now I gotta mm-hmm. ask. I mean. Do you what? How do you how do you pay your bills today? 
how do you what does what what do you do today uh, to make a living? I mean, are you con- are you still in music? Are you producing people? Are you do you make good enough mailbox money off of royalties from your hits that it allows you to do other things creatively? What do you do day in and day out? Well, I, to be honest, I do music day in and day out, and there okay. there is a, a considerable amount of mailbox money that that is pretty damn good. Good. To be honest. Good. Yeah. You know. So okay. yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, it you know, um it still never stops. Like I was Good. talking to um to Prince B um about a sample that we were gonna use and I was like, Wow, did did you ever get a chance to, to flip that sample? He was like, Nah, I just I've never got around to it. I was here and I had brought up the sample and I was looking at it. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna just do this how we did it back in the days. Uh-huh. You know, he give me the sample and go, what are you feeling? Just you know, give it to me when you're done, and we'll take it from there. So I just went in and just did how we did back in the days on it. And you know, it just I listen to it now, and it 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 feels like it's it's a current version of what PM Dawn would do, but cool. you can tell where its deep roots come from with with the sampling and, and how we flip samples and stuff. Yeah, it's, okay. It, it's pretty interesting, yeah. Very cool. So there's, there's a lot of that stuff hanging around, some things that we were going to use that I'm, I'm in development on. And we'll we'll see what happens, man. There's, Do you ever, is there any temptation on your part to put out some kind of a solo album? Or, you know, one thing I was thinking, with your production chops that you've been illustrating tonight on this conversation i could see you doing like soundtrack work you know what i mean like scoring yeah, a movie or that kind of a I, thing do you get i mean what's the do, does that stuff ever come up well i took some time right to really as as you guys well know you know prince b was a father figure to me mm-hmm. and you know at at some point you know it just came to me at at, at a point in my life to where I needed to know who I was, you know, without saying, "Hey, B, what do you think?" As as a yeah. as a grown person, yeah. as a man, I just needed right. to to be stronger for myself so I can be stronger for the group, yeah. you know. And I stepped away from the whole PM Dawn situation for a minute because I needed to really feel and make my own decisions and and be and feel right in those decisions. Now I'm yeah. I'm thinking that it was gonna take, you know, six months or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and it just took some years to really drop the facade of you know, I didn't even wanna make which is a crazy thing to say is I didn't wanna create PM Dawn music, which is trying to say I don't wanna create and be myself. <laughs> you know. Really? Well I really I just really wanted to see you know, what what my own opinions were and did they yeah. stand on their own merit, you know, because, yeah. you know, standing next to Prince B and that the magnitude and, and, you know, the way he writes songs, it was just there. there is no other that does yeah. it like that. No, it's and, not. And, you know, which, which is why back in those days I didn't try and put my writing skills to the test with that because I wasn't there. Like, you know, Prince B was the dude. You know, yeah. so and I I knew back then I couldn't write like that. But uh-huh. you know, at some point, when you're a grown person, you need to know 
how do you stand on your own two feet as a man yeah. and not lean on your big bro because that's yeah. pressure on him too. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. I had to step away from the situation for a minute to so I can be better. You know, as yeah. Lauren Hill says, I had to lose myself so I can love you better. Yeah. You know, I really had to lose myself and my identity as PM Dawn because it was two people, you know, yeah. so I can be know who you know, yeah. who Derek Cortez is slash eternal, you know, yeah. is. Yeah. You know, I didn't do the interesting thing about yeah the spiritual nature of what PM Dawn was about. You know, uh, during the second album when, when Prince B said that, you know, he was putting an attachment to his name called the Nocturnal, I said, well, shit, I'm going to put an attachment to my name and just call myself the Eternal, right? <laughs> that and, makes sense. You know, okay. I just didn't know that I was going to, with the help of Rev Run and, and his company and my manager and Profit and, you know, with them, I did not know that I was going to go in that eternal route of yeah. learning, you know, more about spirituality and getting deeper into it. I didn't know that I was going to do that. Yeah. But it's just in hindsight when I look at it and go, wow, I chose the eternal. And I actually yeah. went in the direction and got to be able to understand deeply what what Atrial was writing about. Yeah. You know, and I talked to him about it, and he was like, "Oh wow, I didn't even see that." Yeah, he said, "You went deeper than I did with it." I was like, "Wow!" So now, you know, on a lyric, on you know, on a spiritual understanding, we're here. Uh, now I'm your peer. Yeah. So we can create something that's just freaking astronomical now. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it just it didn't huh. pan out like I wanted it to. You know, it's just. Yeah. But I had to take time to know who I was as a as a okay. as a as a person, you know, and right. as an artist so so I can be stronger for whatever we decide to do in the future. Yeah. Like it would be well, just way stronger. Not that there's anything positive to come from Prince B not being here any longer, but maybe him being gone will free you up to feel, to kind of feel out your own independent creativity. Because I can understand, you know, he's sick for a long time, and there's not a lot you can do to put out music under the name PM Don if he's not contributing, if it's just you on your own. It doesn't. Yeah. It's not exactly yeah. what it is. But maybe now that now that it's just you, maybe there's some freedom there eventually, creatively that can that allows you to feel like, well, I'm I'm going to do something that speaks to me, you know. And uh, well, you're obviously a good enough musician. You know what's crazy? Never. Um, Solely the name of PM Don. Yeah, I've I've been writing. I, my writings after his passing have just been PM Dawn songs. You know, there was a couple of songs like I was gonna I was writing a tribute record to to Atrial, and through my journey of finding the right melodies and all that kind of stuff, like a whole album's worth of PM Dawn type of material has come to light. Not that I was looking for it because I really wasn't. Right. But writing in that register to where you know, to where I sound sonically. Yeah. In in that vein, those songs just came on their own. And to be honest with you, this is crazy, you can believe this or not. 
Prince V comes to me and sings melodies to me in my dreams. Wow. So I, sleep, I sleep with my recorder. And yeah. the other day, it's about maybe three days ago, he came and right before he was leaving, he said, oh, yeah, here, take this. No and he way. started singing seriously. And I, I woke up, I jumped up and started singing humming it on my recorder. That's so it's amazing. like it's a combination of, you know, whatever yeah. comes. And, and when he comes, he's he's full of melodies still. Yeah. That's so incredible. it's interesting that it comes in that way, but I okay. I accept it. <laughs> I yeah. accept that yeah. fully. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's 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 deep. That's so wonderful. Okay. Before I forget, we had talked about this. You got to tell me the train. There's a crazy story involving a train. You got to tell me this. Story. Oh man. Yeah. All right. This is this during the first, during the recordings of the first record. We lived in London. We bought a flat in London. We were there so long that it was just, it only made sense uh-huh. to just stay there a flat and just, you know, and live there. So we, we had everything set up, you know. We had a routine. We'd go record hunting, listen to some stuff, uh-huh. you know, overnight, and, you know, go to the studio. That that was just our routine and, and right. What a life. What a life. So, what a life. Like, wow, we got an album budget this. There's yeah. a couple of hundred thousand to spend on records. What? That's amazing. It was nonstop. Like, you know. Heaven. If, yeah. If you ever talk to Matthew Senator Emotion, which I'll send you that album. It's, okay. He, he will tell you in a second. Like, you know, he got everybody that was around him, Prince B, that record hunting. Like, he was just, it was insane. Like, you know. Cash Money, DJ Cash yeah. Money, world-famous DJ Cash Money, when, when he came into the fold, he heightened Prince B's record hunting because Cash, for some reason, it didn't matter what city we were in when we were going on tour, Cash knew where the record stores to hit was. Wow. And Prince B lost his mind. That's all we did. But getting back sure. to the story, during the, the recordings of the first album, um, we you know, we had a... We had a routine. We, you know, we take the train into the studio, which was only a block away from the train station. Was a block away from the studio, so it was it was just perfect and and yeah. cost effective to do. But we were running down to the train, and I had forgot some records. So, you know, we Prince B was pissed. <laughs> you know, he was like, "Grab those uh-huh. records," and I forgot. So we had to go back upstairs and, and get the records, and we missed the train. So now we had to take a cab. And for some reason, when we took the cab, it it was so much traffic, and it was just it was it was insane. It took us a long time to get to the studio. And when we walked into the studio, everybody was in shock. It was like, "Holy crap, you guys are you guys are okay?" Like, yeah. like what are you talking about? It's like the train that you usually take. There was a terrorist attack, and a bomb went off on the train. That train got derailed and a lot of people died. Wow. And we didn't hear from you guys, so we we didn't know if you guys were caught up in it or not. But we were just late and trying not to call and be harassed about being late, so we just didn't call in. So yeah. you know, when we it was weird, like it was the train that we it it was no weird. Way. The, the train that we took that we normally take every yeah. single day 
there was a, ter- a terrorist bomb went off on the train. Oh my and god! And, and luckily, I forgot those records. Oh my oh. god! Because if I didn't, I, I, he he wasn't mad then. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't yeah. mad at me then. <laughs> you know, what a miracle! <laughs> it is a miracle, oh and we were talking about, you know, what life means. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and. One of those records that we had to grab was that Dennis Coffee record that we used for Even After I Die. Question marks on a question mark And insecurities connect my parts I thought you were me and I'm you So I talk to myself till my face turns blue Ask me if my feet touch the ground I drift away and explore the profound I'm off to satisfaction is the trip It's you, isn't it? Father, tell me what you think of me Please tell me what you think of me The pressure and the weight comes in with the tide I tell you that I love you a thousand times Someone said a silver cord slams my door Now question marks talk to me even more I'm tired and I want to come home But all that pains me is the fault of my own The thought of you just reeks with divinity A spark by my heart is the symbol of the trinity I can understand that the stakes are high But I really like to know what I've done and why I'm floating in a sea of doubt when it comes to that It seems as though all of my thoughts are not acrobats you. Now that's a thought to renege, but in the thought to stop, it seems to get big. I wonder why, Father, why it is what it is, because I am what I am. What gives? Alphabet soup brings uncertainty. Oh, after that, you know, we, he was wow. talking about mortality and all that stuff, and that's how yeah. that song came about. You know, okay. so it, 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 interesting way songs come, you yeah. know, and and at the same time, our lives were spared just to, yeah. you know, to continue on, which is insane. That is crazy. What a crazy, story. Crazy. crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I just want you to know that you guys mean a lot to me. And there mm-hmm. are few people who have ever done anything creative in the history of mankind that have done more things that mean something to me, mean as much to me as PM Don mm-hmm. has. And wow. so I just want you to know that I I love you guys so much, and I'm so grateful that things are okay, and I'm sad that B's gone, but you sound great, and I look forward to more music being unearthed at some point. But if nothing else, I just want you to know how grateful I am that you talked to me because you uh, mean a lot to me, and I want to thank and, you for that. Uh, I really appreciate you, sir, and and your brother. And tell your brother I said what's up, and and I, I appreciate you guys, you know, being unified by yeah by uh, by PM Dawn's music. You know, it, it is. what an it's incredible thing! It, it never gets old because I understand that it wasn't just me and B. It was we no. were being channeled. You know, we yeah. were channeling spirit. So I you know it's spirit unifies us all, which is a, a beautiful thing, you know. Yeah. Um, I, just to let everybody know that, you know, I wanted the focus to be on actual, but I am, you know, recording and, and writing some stuff that that is very much in a in a in a PM Dawn flow. Okay. You know, it, it's literally a mashup of so Stevie Wonder's songs in the key of life and Marvin Gaye's yeah. what's going on. Oh, it's like a mashup of that. Like, but it's very, it's very PM Dawnish. It's all about my experiences in the spiritual realm, 
of how I dealt with, you know, my graduation spiritually. Yeah. And yeah. Like, I was just jotting down song ideas and stuff. And, and this stuff, it's wait. very pandemic. It's, it's very oh, pandemic. I can't wait. I cannot wait. But, but yeah, I, I stand on the shoulders of my big brother. Yeah. You know, very much so. And yeah. I just want to do my brother proud. That's it. Yeah. You know, yeah, make some really, make some music that lasts forever. It will. It already has. There you have it, DJ Minute Mix. I love him. I love them so much. I am so grateful and blown away that he talked to me. I hope that if you guys were casual fans of PM Dawn or you haven't listened to them for a while or you're a diehard fan like I am and had questions, that this reminded you of some things, answered some things for you, just to get to know the creative process and the people involved and what's going on. Unfortunately, there's some drama there, and we had to clear that up as well. He's a good man, and that music is timeless and amazing. And I hope you guys remember that. There were so many songs we could have played here at the ending, and I wasn't even sure what to do, but their fourth album that I mentioned in here, Dearest Christian, which is sort of, it's a great album, but it's way more artistically challenging than the others. My favorite song off that album is Misery in Utero. It's the one playing right now. I figured we should shed a little light on that on that album because it's a good one too. Next week, we are keeping it in the hip-hop vein. Next week's guest is the cinder fella Dana Dane. You guys remember Dana Dane? He's going to be our guest next week. I'm excited for you to hear it. I don't. I mean, I know we primarily talk about rock and pop and new wave and whatever on here, but I like to stretch the genres, whether it's George Winston or the guys in Anvil or now some hip-hop too. I hope you guys can just appreciate good music no matter the genre, no matter where it comes from. So join us next week for Dana Dane. It's going to be a good one too. Huge thanks as always to Yan the Man Makevich. So grateful for you, Yan. Thanks for everything you do. Guys, find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send me a message on there. If there's an artist that you love that you'd like to hear from, I've been getting a lot of requests lately. Have some upcoming interviews revolving around those requests I'm excited for. You can email me at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can tweet us at thehustlepod. And if you want to, as you, while you're at it, kind of help me get to know Twitter better, that would be good too because I really don't get it. Anyway, love you all. We will talk to you next week.